Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible as well as your prayer requests. We have pastors standing by every day, every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time here taking your prayer requests and answering your Bible questions live on the air. And so we'd love to hear from you. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. And again, this is a show where you can call in. if you Maybe you've been reading your Bible and there's something that you've always wondered about. And you wondered, where can I ask that question and get a, get a good answer about it? Or maybe you're going through something in your life and you wonder, what does the Bible say about this issue I'm facing or this thing I'm going through? This is a great place for you to call in with those questions And if you have a prayer request, let's say something going on in your life where it's not so much that you need a biblical answer as much as you just need someone to pray for you. Well, not only do we have pastors standing by every day to do that, but those who are listening in, people all over the United States and even outside the United States are standing by listening to the show, ready to pray with us for those prayer requests and say yes and amen and lift up those needs to the Lord. So again, give us a call. 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing the show live today. Today is Friday, February 25th. We also want to welcome those who are listening on, um, sorry, the Radio by Grace network of stations, which has stations all over the United States, uh, particularly in the southern United States. You're also hearing the show live today. We also want to welcome those who are listening on delay. So we've got a few stations who do that. It's just amazing how God has been growing this family of listening churches on the Calvary Live family. So we've got people listening on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to you. We also want to welcome those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee, and those who are listening on Higher Rock Radio in Idaho. So wherever you're tuning in from, welcome to you. Just a heads up for those of you on Hope FM, Truth FM, and Higher Rock Radio, that you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind. We don't want that to hinder you from calling in. We do still want you to be part of the show. And I would just encourage you who are listening on delay to view that as a unique opportunity where you know that you call in, You're going to ask your question, you text in, and your question will be answered. And then you can tell family and friends to tune in a week from now when your show will air live or will air on the replay or a week later in your local area. And that'll be an opportunity for them to maybe be introduced to that local station as they tune in to listen to you. Maybe they'll make it a preset. Maybe they'll start listening to it regularly. 
and God will start using his word in their lives as they're listening to that Christian radio station. So wherever you're tuning in from, welcome. We're so glad to have you. We also want to give a big hello to everyone who listens online, on the app, and on the website. If you don't yet have the Grace FM app, really encourage you to do so. It is free, and you can listen with it anywhere in the world. So there are people who listen to this show regularly in Africa, in Asia, South America, and other places. And so if there's any of our online listeners out there, welcome to you. Um, we often have listeners from all over the United States and all over the world, way outside of our broadcast ranges. And that's so cool how we can use that. So get that app, maybe recommend it to somebody else. Tune in. There's also some other cool things in that app, like Bible reading plans, etc. So that's Grace FM, just one word. Search for it in your app store or on the Google Play Store. The number to call, once again, 303-690-3000 with your Bible questions and your prayer requests. The text line is 720-336-0897. A few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is the Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in northern Colorado. And we are in the city of Longmont, which is um, just right off of I-25 and Highway 119 is where our church is located. So if there are any of you out there who are near Longmont, let's say within driving distance, consider this a personal invitation. If you're looking for a place to worship this Sunday, we'd love for you to worship with us. We have both in-person and online services available for you. You can find more information about us at whitefieldschurch.com. But we have three in-person services every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11 a.m. We have children's ministry, youth group, all those things to serve your family. So again, for directions and more information, check out whitefieldschurch.com. We'd love to have you come. If you're within driving distance, come in person. And if you're not within driving distance, check us out online on our website. Again, whitefieldschurch.com. This Sunday, we're going to be finishing our study of 1 Corinthians. We've been in the study of 1 Corinthians for a while now. Just studying through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. This Sunday, we come to the end of that study and um, really excited to look at chapter 16 and what it has to say about the grace of giving. And so that's what we'll be talking about this Sunday, how giving is actually a grace which is given to us by God to help us become more like Jesus who gave himself for us. So that's what we'll be studying about this Sunday in our verse by verse study of First Corinthians chapter 16. We'd love to have you join us. Starting next week, we're starting a new series in which we'll be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus that he made in the Gospel of John or that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. So with that, let's go to our first caller, Vina in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Vina. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Katie. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, does this war with Russia and Ukraine have anything to do with Gog and Megog. I mean, you know, um, I don't know. I'm just so interested in the coming war of Gog and Megog and the building of the temple, and I'm just wondering if this has anything to do with it. You know, I look on the Internet, and it just tells me what the war of Gog and Megog is, or mm -hmm. it says that the Jewish people want to build their temple. I don't know. It is what really interesting. Think? Yeah, no, it is interesting because, okay, Gog and Magog, for anybody who's unfamiliar with it, it's speaking about some ancient kingdoms that existed in what is now kind of southern Russia. And so um, the idea is that these, these kingdoms from the north 
are going to team up with kingdoms from the east and they'll come together and they'll attack Israel in this last battle um, for the land there in Israel surrounding Jerusalem, etc. Now, is this going to be that? Well, certainly Ukraine is not Israel, but here's a really interesting development that did take place that I just heard about yesterday. It might have taken place um, a few days before. I'm not exactly sure when it started, but I saw an announcement from the Jerusalem Post that uh, Russia no longer uh, recognizes the Golan Heights as Israel's sovereign territory. Um, and so Russia's been doing this kind of thing, right, where they'll say that they don't recognize territories of certain countries, and therefore they'll use this as a pretext for military actions, whether it's invasion in the case of Ukraine or whether it's uh, other forms of intervention like in Georgia. And so by doing that, the reason they're doing it, by the way, is because the Golan Heights is disputed between Israel and Syria. And Russia's been kind of making a lot of strategic partnership go on with Syria. And so um, the issue there is this, that if Russia, in what they're doing in Ukraine, I don't think that that's directly related to the Gog and Magog passages in Ezekiel, but this kind of interventionist thing that uh, is re that Russia's doing in now even going into Israel and saying, well, you guys don't really own the Golan Heights. Is that a pretext for war? Is Russia going to team up with Syria to attack Israel? I think it's really, I would have said a year ago that I think that that's really unlikely because Russia has actually been a supporter of Israel generally. But that is, uh, again, we see that starting to change right now. So I would say that's kind of the thing to keep your eye on. What is Russia doing with Syria in teaming up against Israel? That's definitely something to watch out for. Okay, but why would Russia want anything to do with Israel? I mean, Israel is so tiny. What does Israel have that Russia wants? Yeah, right now, I don't think Israel has anything that Russia wants. I think the thing is that Russia wants the support of Syria. And so they're willing to, you know, appease Syria by, you know, coming out and saying the Golan Heights belongs to Syria, not to Israel. Whereas up until this point, Russia has recognized the Golan Heights as being, you know, at least um, Israel's occupied territory, if not their sovereign territory. So I don't Thank think that you. there's... Yeah, I don't think there's anything that is that Russia particularly wants in Israel, but this could be the beginning of something that is talked about in the Bible. Thank you so much. You've given me some food for thought. I appreciate this. Thank you, um, Pastor My Kate. pleasure. God bless you. Thanks for calling God in. bless you, too. Bye. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie taking your calls and texts live on the air. We're answering your questions about the Bible. We're praying for your prayer requests. Give us a call at 303 Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We have two open lines right now, so it would be a great time to call in. Um, let's go to our next caller, Robert in Colorado Springs. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, my, I guess just general question, cause I'm going to have to hang up the phone and I'll just listen, but, uh, why is there so much, you know, overall opposition to the 10 commandments when, you know, 
Jesus said that if we don't keep the commandments, that he said that we're liars. Um, and, you know, at the time, there was no New Testament. I mean, he's talking about the commandments, um, you know, just to, for we'll keep it at the Ten Commandments. Um, but wh- why is there so much opposition when, you know, the councils at Laodicea and the other councils, uh, I think it's 8321 or something, uh, there's a, a number of different councils that en- ended up illegalizing the Sabbath, you know, observance of the the mark, you know, the mark of the, you know, everyone's concerned about the mark of the beast, but the mark of the creator is the Sabbath. You know, the very word Shabbat broken down in Hebrew transliteration, Shabbat, Shabbat, the H, the H sound would indicate the spiritual or eternal or um you know the heavenly and or the the life itself mm-hmm. and abba would mean father and bat would mean sign or house of um m- m- more more correctly would be sign so when the word shabbat sabbath actually translates as the sign of the heavenly father or the life giving father's sign um, why is there so much opposition to, you know, just taking a rest on Friday night to, till Saturday night? I mean, yeah. as- so you're asking a lot of questions, uh, bringing up a lot of topics. I, I'd love to address some of them if you don't mind. And I know you said you had to go, so feel free to drop off if you need to, but I can just start answering a few of those questions. Okay. So first of all, you asked a question about the council of Nicaea that took place in 325 AD. Uh, then you, I think your first question had to do with something about Ten Commandments, um, Jesus saying that we're liars if we keep the Ten Commandments. I'm not familiar at all with the passage that you're referring to, um, but I'll just start to answer your questions, okay? When Jesus talked about the law, what's he talking about? Well, remember, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah coming to speak to the Jewish people primarily, and so as an assumption, he understands that when he talks about the law, they understand that what he's talking about is the law of Moses, which is um, 613 laws, 10 of which are the Ten Commandments. And um, so with all these laws, you know, Jesus is talking about if you don't keep all these laws, then you have fallen short of God's glory and you have sinned. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he says, it's not only that you have to keep the law outwardly, but you actually have to go further than that. You have to keep the law in your heart, which is why he says, you know, if you um, say in your heart, or, or let's say you lust in your heart or something like that, right? If you do these things in your heart, if you hate someone in your heart, that's also a sin, just like committing murder is a sin. So what Jesus is trying to show us is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we need a Savior. And the good news is he's not just telling us to go and find a Savior. He's not just telling us to save ourselves. He's telling us that he is the Savior. Now, to your question about Nicaea, I think you fundamentally need to go and do some research on what actually happened at Nicaea. I actually posted a podcast a couple months ago called 
uh, Constantine, Nicaea, and conspiracy theories, because I think it's interesting how many conspiracy theories exist out there about um, Nicaea, Constantine, and what happened in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. A lot of people think it was like a council of like, I don't know, 10, 20 guys who sat down and said, well, we're going to decide what the Bible says, and we're going to create this Christian religion, and we're essentially going to disregard other things, and we're going to, you know, like they took control and created a aberrant form of Christianity, and that is not at all what happened. We're talking about hundreds of bishops from all over the world, um, bishops meaning regional leaders in the church at that time. This is not the Catholic Church. This is predates the Catholic Church as an institution. This is leaders from all over the Christian church, regional leaders and pastors from all over, and they came together to, to talk about one issue primarily, and that is the issue of, is does the Bible teach that Jesus is God? Because there was a guy named Arius who was a um, leader, a bishop, in Alexandria, which is northern um, northern Africa, I Egypt, right? Still exists, the city of Alexandria. So Arius of Alexandria was going around saying that Jesus is not God. He's less than God. He's a created being, and he might be special. He might be different than us, <clears throat> and he might even be, you know, his his actions might have had some salvific effect, but he's not God, fully God of fully God. <clears throat> so the Council of Nicaea gathered to debate that question based on the scriptures. What does the Bible say? And so they searched the scriptures for a long time, by the way, and then they came to a conclusion. Does the Bible say that Jesus is God? And the answer they came to is, yes, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. That was the point of the Council of Nicaea, to make it very clear and very concise. Now, there are further what we call ecumenical councils. And by ecumenical, that just means everybody's invited, meaning all the Christian leaders at that time. Remember, at that time, they didn't have denominations. They didn't have um, even the Roman Catholic Church as an entity didn't exist at that point. So we're talking about um, this is Christian leaders from all over the world gathering together to determine what does the Bible say on particular topics? And so some of the other topics they debated later on were which of the books that were out there are actually inspired by God. And they didn't just do that willy-nilly, like, I like this one, I don't like that one. They did it based on exacting criteria that is totally reasonable and makes a ton of sense. And we're thankful that they did it so that we don't have to go back and say, okay, wait a second, every generation needs to figure out if certain books of the Bible are really from God. Okay, so that was Nicaea. Now let's talk about your last question, which is the Sabbath and why people don't uh, honor the Sabbath. I would just tell our listeners that that etymology, which is the breaking down of words and the origin of words that Robert gave us about uh, the word Shabbat, is actually not, um, not accurate as far as what the word Shabbat means. Uh, the word Shabbat means rest. It's very clear. Um, and so, yeah, so just saying that um, what is that Shabbat rest? Well, it's what we call Sabbath. And the reason for the Sabbath, it comes from creation. God worked six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And he gave us that as a uh, law and a principle. Now, remember that the purpose of the law, according to Colossians chapter 2, is that it is a shadow of of the things to come, but the substance 
is in Christ. And you can compare this, if you're interested, in um, Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about the rest that was experienced in the land of promise, Canaan, and the rest that we experience on the Sabbath rest. And it says, and yet, even though they entered into the land, even though they had the seventh day as a day off work, meaning a, re a day of rest, that there was still a Sabbath rest which needed to be entered into. And it says in Hebrews 4 that anyone who enters into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ has entered into that Sabbath rest of which the Shabbat, meaning the seventh day of the week, Saturday as a day of rest, was a prefigurement or a shadow, something that pointed to Jesus. Um, that verse, by the way, says this, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So how was the Sabbath a picture, a prefigurement of Christ? Well, very clearly, according to Hebrews chapter four, here's how. Because apart from Jesus, we were always striving to earn God's favor. We were striving to prove ourselves before God. And with the coming of Jesus, his completed work on the cross, now we can actually rest. We can have rest in our souls knowing that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves in order that we could be saved and be made right with God. And so now we can cease from our labors to save ourselves and make ourselves right with God. It's a beautiful thing. That's what the Sabbath prefigured, which is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, that doesn't take away from the principal issue of the Sabbath, which is to say, even though the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus, it means that there's still a good principle to take one day a week to dedicate towards worshiping God and resting from your work and enjoying family, enjoying God's blessings, etc. So I would advise everyone to do that. But Paul also talks about this where he says, I think this is in Romans chapter 14, he says, for some people, they honor the Sabbath on a Saturday, other people honor it on a Sunday, but for some people, every day is exactly the same. Meaning some people would say, I don't need to only worship God on one day a week. I want to worship God every day of the week. And Paul says, good, great, worship God all the time. And you know what? If you want to rest on a Tuesday, praise the Lord, rest on a Tuesday and focus on God on Tuesday. Make every day a day of worship and rest. So I hope that answers that question. Um, you know, we are not justified by keeping the law or by not keeping the law. And here's one interesting point, and this is actually coming up in my study this Sunday. As I look at 1 Corinthians 16, Paul the Apostle says to them, that when they gather together on the first day of the week, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, it says, when you gather together on the first day of the week, take up an offering. And so what he's saying is, you know, when you gather for your weekly gathering. Did you know every time in the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection that we read about Christians gathering, it's always on the first day of the week. And in that culture, as well as in ours, the first day of the week is Sunday. So um, there's also a really cool eschatological picture of what Sunday represents, but that might be going a little too deep into this topic and we've got other callers. So let's just say this, 
If we run into a time later where we don't have any callers, I'll explain Sunday as the eighth day or the new day, prefiguring the new day in Jesus. So, Robert, I appreciate the call. I hope you'll do some research on Nicaea and the etymology and origin of the Sabbath, as well as how it's prefiguring Jesus. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Erilyn in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hi, Erilyn. Welcome to the program. Yes, thank you for picking up my call. Absolutely. Um, I'm calling because um, I'm going on a mission trip in like five days uh, to Puerto Rico, of course, to preach the gospel. And um, I'm going with a group of, you know, charismatics, I guess you could say, like they believe um, in the receiving of an anointing. But my question was, um, what exactly is, because I know because we have the Holy Spirit within us, we, I guess you can say we are anointing because it says it's within us. So the question is, what exactly is an anointing? Or It's a great question. I'm going to try and answer it quickly, okay? So there are three relationships that the Holy Spirit has with people, and you can track these through the Bible. And if you'd like, I've written an article on it that kind of maps these out. But Here's how it works. The Holy Spirit is with all people, right? So there's the first relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is with people. And who is the Holy Spirit with? Holy Spirit is with all people doing what? Bringing about conviction of three things. It says in the Gospel of John chapter 16, three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit, if you will, is whispering into the heart of every person a conviction that they have sinned, that they that God is righteous, and because they have fallen short of God's righteousness, there is a coming judgment. And the Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, bringing about conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment in order to draw people to Jesus. Okay, that's the first relationship. The second kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit is what we call the in relationship, meaning the indwelling relationship. And the third relationship is what we call the upon relationship. So the upon relationship is about empowering, whereas the in relationship is about sealing and leading and guiding. So two different things, empowering and sealing and leading and guiding. So let's look at that second relationship real quick, the in relationship. In means who is the Holy Spirit within? Is the Holy Spirit within everybody? No, no, no. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is in only those who have by faith received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and been born again. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit within you as a seal and you are born again. So if that's you, you have the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit within you do? Well, it does a work of transforming you in from the inside out, right? It does a work of leading you and guiding you and does a work of teaching you. These are some of the things, sealing you as a receipt that you truly are a child of God. And then there's that third relationship, which is the Holy Spirit coming upon you 
for the purpose of empowerment. So this is like Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit will come upon you to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So um, those are the three relationships, and here's how I would explain it. The first relationship is with all people. So the Holy Spirit is with all people. The Holy Spirit is only in those who are believers. And the Holy Spirit is upon certain people at different times in order to empower them for what God calls them to do. And um, I hope that answered your question. If you want to hold, and I'll catch you on the other side, I do have one more thought to share with you that might help you make sense of that. But hey, uh, we'll be right back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. Give us a call, 303 690 with your Bible questions and your prayer requests. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here today taking your calls and texts live on the air. Right before we went to our break, we are talking with Ara Lynn in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with a question about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, Erilyn, uh, welcome back. And so I gave you kind of a, a quick description. One last thing I'll say, and then I'll kick it back to you if you have any kind of follow-up question. But okay. the, the first relationship and the third relationship. So the Holy Spirit is with people, and the Holy Spirit comes upon people to empower them. So number one and number three, they were present in the Old Testament but that second relationship I talked about where the Holy Spirit is within believers, that only happened after Jesus' resurrection when he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit in them for that second relationship. So in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit uh, with people, bringing about conviction of sin. We see the Holy Spirit um, bringing about um, empowerment for people, like in the book of Judges, right? The Spirit came upon this person to empower them. Uh, but we never see the Holy Spirit indwelling someone. And so that would be the difference between those three. So did that help sort it out? No, that that's very helpful. Thank you so much for taking my question. Yeah, my pleasure. And where did you say you're going on this trip? I'm going to Puerto Rico with, it, um, yeah. It's a mission trip, right? Yes, my second one. That's awesome. Can we pray for you? Yes, please. Okay, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we pray for Erilyn. Thank you, Lord, that you've opened this opportunity for her to go to Puerto Rico on this mission trip. Lord, we pray that you would use her greatly and her team greatly. Lord, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them to be used by you in a great way. Lord, we also pray for your Holy Spirit within them to lead them and guide them, to give them wisdom and guidance as they serve you in Puerto Rico on this trip. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. My pleasure. God bless you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. And with the end of that call, we have all open lines, which means that now is a great time to call in with your prayer requests and with your questions about the Bible. 
Um, we'll get you on really fast if you call in now. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 for the call-in line. And the text number is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Well, we had a text message from Rob in Longmont. And Rob was asking, he says that earlier I mentioned that there were some criteria by which they uh, determined the formation of the New Testament canon, like which books were included in the Bible and which were not. And I mentioned that there's a podcast episode that I recorded talking about that. And um, so I sent him a link to that. But if there's anybody else out there who would like a link to that podcast episode, I'd be happy to send it to you. It's from my podcast. You can also just search it up yourself. But if you want a direct link to Apple Podcasts, uh, I'd be happy to send it to you. The episode was about the formation of the New Testament canon. And there's actually two parts to it. So part one is about Nicaea, Constantine, and conspiracy theories. But part two is about the recognition uh, the disputes over certain books, and about the Gospel of Thomas. So if that's of interest to you, then just text me, and I will be happy to send you a link to that podcast. Again, the text line is 720-336-0897. And if you text me, ask for a link to the podcast episode about the formation of the New Testament canon, I'd be happy to send that to you. Um, one thing before we get back to our calls and texts, just kind of as we have a lull in the texts and calls right now, I mentioned earlier that if I had a break, I would tell you how Sunday worship in the New Testament actually um, has an eschatological meaning. Now, let me let me explain what I mean by that. Eschatological doesn't just mean the timeline of the end times. It does mean that, but it means more than that. It means that the it's pointing to what we call the eschaton, which is the final event, the culmination of all things, when Jesus returns and there's a day of judgment and there's a new heavens and a new earth and all of these things where there's no more tears, no more death forever. So here is how the Sunday worship prefigured that. If you think about this, it says in the book of Genesis that God created things. He worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested and therefore he established the seventh day for his people as a day of worship and rest. And then they would start working again on the first day, which was Sunday. Well, the early Christians, they said, we want to gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so what they would do is they gather early in the morning because, of course, Jesus, um, though he was, his tomb was found to be empty by those who went there early in the morning. So they would go early in the morning, they would take communion, they would sing, they might hear a scripture um, teaching, and then they would go to work for the whole day, because remember, Sunday wasn't a day off in the ancient world, and well, actually until the time of, of Constantine and after. So Sunday was a day of work. And then after that, they would come back from their work in the evenings, and they would have these gatherings. This is actually really interesting if you read in Acts chapter 19 and 20, I think it's actually Acts 20, where Paul is traveling 
on his way back to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And he stops in this town and he preaches a sermon in an evening. And a guy gets so tired that he falls out the window and dies. And Paul has to resuscitate him and pray for him to be raised back to life. Um, You know, he literally preached this guy to death. That's what I always tell myself not to do. Don't preach people to death, right? Okay. But why did Paul do that? Part of the reason he did it was because this guy had probably been at work all day. He had probably come to church in the morning, gone to work, and then he had been at this church service in the evening, and he had been so tired. Okay, so all that to say, Christians began to have their main day of worship from the earliest days of Christianity on Sunday. Now, Sunday isn't replacing the Sabbath. It's the day of the resurrection. It's the first day. But think about it like this. If if Saturday is the seventh day, then Sunday worship would not just be going back to, you wouldn't just go from one to seven and then start over at number one again, but you could also say it's the eighth day, right? It Meaning it's the beginning of a new, it's the new day, the beginning of something new, the new uh, era, which has come into being because of Jesus's death and resurrection. And Christians worshiped not just on Sunday as a new Sabbath. No, no, no. They said Sunday is the beginning of a new day. A new day has dawned because Jesus died and resurrected. And one day he will raise us up to new life in him as well. So really, really cool stuff. Let's go to our next caller, Rudy in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Rudy. Welcome to the program. Rudy. Well, looks like Rudy. Hello. Oh, there he is. What's up, Rudy? I'm here. You're you're live on the air. Okay, quick question. Uh, I have a buddy who's been, I mean, really bad at drugs. He went to jail. He has gotten out. I tried talking to him before because he was always, you know, just uh, really, really uh, excited about my transformation but never wanted to do his own. But after getting out of jail, then he picked up a Bible, and um, he's, you know, he's sober as he's ever been in his life after six months. And I want to ask Jesus Christ into his life. I know I did it. I dropped it to my knees praying and, you know, meaning it from the bottom of my heart to meet Jesus. And it's, you know, Jesus Christ has really touched me. But how, what, what is a prayer, words, is there a specific prayer that I would say to him when I approach him, when I see him here soon in a couple hours? And I want to ask Jesus into his life. Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah, I would share with him your testimony. I would do that. And I think it's such a good thing you're doing where you're saying, hey, I don't want to just tell him this and then just leave it there. But I actually want to give him an opportunity to respond. I think that giving people an opportunity to respond to the Lord is is a gift. It's super important. So I would just tell him this. You can walk him through a prayer. I'll just tell you a few elements that should probably be included in the prayer. One element of this prayer should be an, a recognition of sin and a confession of sin doesn't need to be a confession of every sin. It just needs to be a confession that says, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself, that without you and your help and your salvation, I am lost. And so God, Jesus, I, I trust in what you did for me on the cross, that it was enough to forgive my sins and redeem my life and make me right with God. And just say, I receive that grace now by faith. And you should ask your friend, like, don't just pray this prayer, but but do you believe these things? Because praying the prayer isn't what saves you. It's believing in those things by which you receive that grace that saves you. And so 
uh, I would say those are the two most important factors. You know, just thinking with our tongues, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and with our hearts, we believe. Those are the two most important things. Okay, yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Yeah, let me pray for you. That's awesome, Please. man. Yeah. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we pray for Rudy, and we thank you that he has this opportunity to speak to his friend, and we just pray, Lord, that you would work in his friend's heart and do that work which Rudy can't do and none of us can do, Lord, that work of transformation, that work of breaking down the walls and the barriers that he might receive the gospel by faith and put his faith in Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. Lord, we, we um, bless you and we ask for you to uh, give guidance by your spirit to Rudy in this conversation, what to say, what to pray. And we pray for his friend that he would truly be born again and be brought into the family of God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Nick. My pleasure, Rudy. God bless you. Let us know how it goes, okay? I will. Thank you. All right. See you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. So if there's a Bible verse you've been curious about, if there's something going on in the world and you want to know a biblical perspective on it, definitely give us a call. Or if you have a prayer request, give us a call as well. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Before we go to our next caller, I want to take an opportunity to tell you guys about something I've been working on. Um, Since last year, I've been writing a book, and the book is now completed, and it is scheduled for release on March 6th, which is next Sunday. So the book's going to be released. We're going to have a release party here at our church. We'd love to have you come out for it. Maybe you don't usually come to our church. Uh, maybe you live far away, or maybe you, maybe you live close, but you don't usually come to our church. We'd love to have you come and receive a copy. I'm going to be signing copies and all that stuff. The book is available right now for pre-order on Amazon, um, but or, or wherever you buy your books. It's available for pre-order online. And... Um, You can also get it here at our church. It's going to be available at a few other churches. I heard that Calvary Church is going to be carrying it in Aurora as well. And so if you'd like a copy, you know, we're also going to be setting up an online store on our church's website to sell the book. So I'm really excited about it coming out. It's been birthed out of a lot of conversations we've had and a lot of uh, really a need that we've encountered in our church. The, um, The book is called The God I Won't Believe In. Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. And in this book, we go through, um, you know, we did an online poll a while back in 2019, asking people, you know, to answer this question and to ask their friends and family to answer this question who are not believers. You know, I would never believe in a God who, right? And so we got a lot of answers to that. One was, uh, I could never believe in a God who condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or I could never believe in a God who doesn't answer my prayers, or I could never believe in a God who says that some people's love is wrong, um, or I could never believe in a God who encouraged the suppression of women and minorities. I could never believe in a God who creates hypocritical and hateful followers. And so we took these questions, we did research on these topics, and we responded to them biblically. And in my 
my hope was also compassionately. And so we've created this book and our goal is for this to be a resource, both for those who struggle with these questions and for those who want to be equipped to maybe answer the questions that their children or their grandchildren or their cousins or their coworkers are asking about these topics and saying, this is a barrier for me embracing Christianity. We want to give some good, solid answers to those questions and just have this be a resource that you can have on your shelf and you can pull it off the shelf or you can read it the whole way through. So we've got nine topics. I gave you a few. There are more. But like I said, this book is going to be coming out soon, March 6th, and it'll be available both um, in digital format and it will be available in paper printed format. I'm really excited about it. I hope you will be too. It's not available for purchase yet, but again, like I said, it's coming out on March 6th. So um, definitely stay tuned for that. And I'll be talking about it probably again on the show. But um, yeah, you know, you can check out wherever you buy books online and see if uh, it's available there for pre-order or or you can just plan on coming and getting a copy in person. So I'm excited about that. And I would ask you to please pray for that because we view this as an outreach. You know, the whole purpose of this is kind of like John's gospel, how John's gospel at the end, he says, I've written these things so that you would believe and that by believing have life in him. And so that's our hope and goal is that we've written these things to help people um, believe in Jesus. And we want them to do that. And uh, we want to help them overcome these barriers that they they see as being barriers, but which we believe are actually not necessarily barriers, the things which can be answered and surmounted. And we hope that people will lead, this will lead to people coming to faith in Jesus. So if you would pray for that, I'd really appreciate it. Let's go to our next caller, Tanya in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Tanya. Okay. Welcome to the program. Kind of with this concept in my brain. Later. Hi, Tanya. Oh, it is. Yeah, it looks like Tanya might be having a conversation with somebody else. Okay. So let's, let's let Tanya go for now. I see her question and I'd be happy to answer it. And Tanya, hopefully you'll hear this answer to your question. Uh, Tanya's question was, how can I deal with hypocrites in the church? Um, In the church, we're called to a higher purpose and how do I, or we are called to a higher purpose and how do I deal with that? So how do we deal with hypocrites in the church? You know, uh, Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer, it's actually one of the topics I deal with in my book. Um, So Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer, he has a famous statement where he said, do not judge the judge the way that I follow, meaning the way of Jesus, based on the flaws of those who walk in this way. He said, for example, if someone walks along a path drunkenly going side to side, it doesn't mean that the path is wrong just because that person is walking it imperfectly. I think that's a good example, right? So how do we deal with hypocrites in the church? Well, a couple, couple important things. Jesus talked about this, by the way. He said, the first thing to do is, before you point out the speck in the other person's eye, make sure you've removed the log in your own eye, lest you be a hypocrite. So somebody who says to me, I don't want to go to church because the people there are hypocrites, I say, hey, you should definitely go to church because there's always room for one more hypocrite, meaning that we are all are hypocrites. In fact, if you think about it, because we believe in a standard, right? Because we believe that there is such a thing as truth and right and wrong, by nature, none of us are living up to that standard. We all believe that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means that we believe in an ideal that none of us live up to. 
And in a way, you could say that that makes us all hypocrites in a way. But in another way, a hypocrite is a person who uh, doesn't admit their failings. They only, uh, you know, they try to present themselves as being something which they are not. And in this way, we could say that Christians are not hypocrites, right? Because we, well, at our best, right? We're not hypocrites because if we are living a life of repentance, then we're not being hypocrites. We're saying, I failed and I will get on my knees and ask for repentance and I'll seek reconciliation with other people and I'll be right with God. So I'm being honest about my failures and my flaws and my need for Jesus. So how do we deal with hypocrites in the church? Well, Matthew 18 tells us how to deal with those who offend us and sin against us. And one of the things that we do is we bring it, first of all, to their attention. We go to them privately because our goal is not to embarrass them. It's not to out them. It's not to shame them. Our goal is that they would be repenting of this sin, which is hurting themselves and hurting others, hurting their relationship with God. We want to help them be reconciled to God and to others. So we go to them with a heart of love, one-on-one, and we say, brother, sister, what you're doing here, it's not good, right? You're, you're sinning in this area, and I think you need to repent. And it says there, if they are unwilling to receive that, then you should go back to them, this time taking alongside with you another person who can say, hey, we both, this isn't just like my own personal thing against you. This is me and this other person agreeing that, hey, what you're doing, it's not in line with what the word of God says, and it's not good for you or for others. And then if they still won't receive that, then you bring it to the church, the leadership of the church. And again, you you go to that level. And if they still won't receive it, then it's a time perhaps for church discipline, right? Which means that the church says, hey, if you're going to continue down this road, then we really need to think about um, about how to help you, right? Give you some incentives to understand how serious this is and that you can't just keep doing this. So all that to say, that's how we deal with um, with hypocrites in the church. And again, so we're, we're dealing with the log in our own eyes before we point out the speck in others, and yet we are going through this process that's outlined in Matthew chapter 18. So Tanya, thank you for that question. Sorry we didn't get to talk to you in person. And uh Thanks for calling in. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. We've got probably time for one more call before the end of the show, maybe one or two. So give us a call at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0800. Um, We had a caller named Arlene who had a question she wasn't able to hold, but her question was, is there a difference between the soul and the spirit? Are they the same? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, actually, this idea of is there a difference between the soul and the spirit? There's probably uh, more to this debate than you ever uh, thought. There's actually two schools of thought on this. And uh, one is called dichotomy, and the other one is called trichotomy. And so are you a dichotomist or a trichotomist? Uh, It all comes down to, I'm going to look up this article I wrote. I wrote an article on this. Is there a difference between soul and spirit? So the two views are called trichotomy, and the other one is dichotomy. So trichotomist view 
holds that the soul and the spirit are two distinct things, whereas the dichotomous view holds that the soul and the spirit are just two words which describe two aspects of the same thing, which are the immaterial part of a human being. Um, those who hold a trichotomous view, meaning differentiate between the soul and the spirit, they would point to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where it says that we're created in the image of God. And since God is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is a trinity. God has created us as a lesser trinity, also having three aspects, body, soul, and spirit. Furthermore, there is a verse which actually points to this. I'm trying to remember. Oh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Um, there are a few other verses that also, so Romans 8, 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Hebrews 4, 12, in which the terms soul and spirit are referred to as separate things. And so uh, I will tell you my position. I fall in the camp of trichotomy, meaning that I believe that the soul and spirit are two different things. And the reason I believe this is because of the way it's used in the Bible. So I think that there is a distinction being made in the scripture between soul and spirit. Um, and, you know, I go into a little bit of detail on what those differences are in this article. If you're interested, go to my website, nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. And look up the article titled, Is There a Difference Between Soul and Spirit? And there's a little bit more information on that uh, distinction there. All right. Well, thank you for that question, Arlene. And God bless you. Let's go to our probably our last caller, Kaylee in Tennessee. Hi, Kaylee. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Sure. What can we do for you? Um, I just had a question about um, why environmental issues aren't talked more about in the church. Um, my thing is, I think it's so politicized nowadays that people um, don't really even ask the questions of how we can take care of God's creation and how we can do things to better improve the planet he gave us. Um, so just what can we do to kind of get past those biases and how can we implement things in the church to spread awareness? Yeah. So the short answer to your question, in my opinion, is through good Bible teaching, and good theological education. Um, because a lot of people, as you said, the views are coming more from a, um, a view which is shaped by political allegiance than it is by necessarily theology. I recently heard someone say this, and it rang true with me, is that rather than many people choosing their politics based on their theology, many people today choose their theology based on their politics. And one example they gave of this is that uh, there are very few people who um, identify as progressives or, or leaning left who are found in evangelical churches. And they said that that actually is because of their choosing um, their religion based on their politics, but it also cuts the other way. So I thought that was an interesting take. And I, I think that that's really important that we should be theologically driven or biblically driven in our views. Now, what does the Bible actually say on this? Some people would say that they're, if you will, anti-environmentalism 
uh, comes from a biblical conviction. And that biblical conviction is this whole world's going to burn anyway. So what's the point of putting window dressings on a house that's on fire? We should instead be trying to get people out of here and saved. I don't think that you have to choose one or the other. I think it's it's clearly we want to do both, right? So um, that being said, the case for um, caring about the environment, it comes from Genesis, where we have the cultural mandate, um, where we are told there in Genesis at the creation of the man and the woman, that we are to um, steward the world, right? We're to subdue the earth and fill it. And that idea of subduing the earth doesn't just mean uh, conquering it, but it also means stewarding it in a way that helps people to flourish, which we know is is God's design, and it's a picture of the kingdom which is to come. And so I would say some people can get into the environmental thing to where it's almost like a religion. We don't want to do that, but we do want to be good stewards of what God has put us, uh, entrusted us with. So I'm going to uh, finish this episode, Kaylee. If you want to even stay on the line and just agree with me in prayer, I want to, before the end of this episode, pray for Ukraine. So uh, let's do that together as we end the show. Heavenly Father, I lift up to you the situation in Ukraine. Lord, our hearts are broken as we see innocent people suffering, uh, dying, fleeing, and hiding for their lives. Lord, we pray that there would be righteousness, that righteousness would rule in this situation. Lord, we do pray for divine intervention. We pray that, as we see in the scriptures, that your spirit would even just direct people and cause them to turn around in some cases. And Lord, we pray for righteousness and justice to rule. We pray for peace, and we pray for an end to this terrible conflict. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray you use the church during this time for your glory and for people's salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady. Uh, Join us online or in person, whitefieldschurch.com, and I'll be with you again soon on a Friday here on Calvary Live. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.